I've met as a founder. Broaden is the world's first no-code platform that enables anyone to create and monetize AI applications. Callan is also one of the newest addition to our San Francisco Tech Founders community. Thank you for joining me, Callan. A real pleasure to be here. It's incredible that we're face-to-face having this conversation. I know. The first time I basically got connected to you through a friend of mine through Antler, a program I did last summer. And she was like, oh, you should definitely talk to this founder. And at that time, you're living in England? I was, yeah. I was living in London. um, And... um, I met your friend at randomly at the party. I think it was a VC party in um, in the UK, and um, we were, you know, having a conversation as you do in a, in a tech meeting. And uh, she was telling me that she's about to, you know, go to Antler, and she was accepted in the Austin program. Um, and I was sharing my own experience of that Antler program with her. Um, and yeah, it's incredible. We got connected and I remember having a, an amazing chat about the whole podcasting space at that space. Totally. Yeah. Um, at that time, I was building some janky version, proof of concept of like podcast search that I wanted to solve for. And what were you building at that time? I was building something similar. Uh, it was in the podcast discovery space, but mostly focused on learning So we were building an application that enabled anyone to choose a few topics that they want to learn about. And we would use technology to select the best clips from podcasts and then put them in a a feed for people to listen to these, you know, best 10, 15 minutes uh, from podcasts. Yeah, that's amazing. We we talked a lot. Um, And then our friend actually was a guest of the show before in season one. So if Lucy's listening, hi, Lucy. (laughs) Oh, amazing. Hey, Lucy. (laughs) Um, so let's start off with your physical journey uh, across the world, essentially, from uh, where were you born, where did you grow up, and then what brought you to San Francisco? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm originally from Romania. I, I actually grew up in, a, in an incredibly small village in the northwest of Romania. So when I say small, I mean like 200 houses. And... Uh, yeah, that was that was a unique experience. And then throughout my career, I you know I moved on to bigger and bigger cities. Uh, went to school to a to a relatively small town, but then went to university to one of the bigger towns in Romania. And then after that, decided to to move to London and eventually to um, Essa. Yeah, that's amazing. Do you feel you still have the most comfort in a small town or? Has that changed over time, like you're adapting and evolving? I think I'm definitely adapting and evolving. Um, I was once reading about this um, explorer's gene that some people have. Apparently 20% of the population has this gene. Yeah. And obviously gene theory isn't that precise, but you know, the scientists argue that if you are one in five people, you have this desire to go out and travel and explore the world. Uh, of course, the same gene is responsible for other things like ADHD or uh, other types of, um, I would say, either you know disorders or uh, extreme behaviors in people. But I definitely have that desire to to constantly move on, not just with the location or the place where I'm living, but also I think the group of people that I'm around. I never have been, you know, stagnant for a long time. I, whenever I get comfortable in a place, it feels like I need to move on. Yeah, yeah. 
but this um the feeling of moving on is not uh with with broaden you've been building broaden for what two years now yeah i've been building broaden for two years and i think broaden has in many ways though encapsulated the the same type of energy but it's more in the winning the constraints of a startup so um Broaden has existed in many forms and, and shapes and incarnations, if you want. I think a lot of it at the grand scheme of things is is starting from you know this sheer curiosity that I have in the world. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why we spend a lot of time building in the in the learning space. Yeah. Um but uh the same type of you know desire to um create and help other people create you know led us to the current incarnation of the platform which is a little bit different than uh, what we've uh, created in previous incarnations yeah and we'll definitely explore that different incarnations of broaden but why did you decide to build broaden in san francisco what was that decision process like yeah um so it was really interesting i'm I actually went to a couple of um, founder houses or hacker houses, if you want. Uh, one was in LA um, a year and a half ago, and one was in Lisbon last November. And um, I spent this, you know, this intense period of one month in a house with other founders and builders. And I think what I got from that experience, like the incredible energy that exists in in such an environment. Uh, was something that I think resonated with my own natural energy. And I felt like in both occasions, I did in one month what what I would normally maybe do in three months. Um, so then I tried to decompose, okay, what, what's happening in these, um, in these houses? And yeah. why am I, you know, why am I getting so much out of it? And I realized that a big part of it is the people in the house and the energy that they bring. And quite interestingly, a lot of the people in the house were were either Americans or like Europeans with an American mindset. And and that's quite different than um, I think uh, people in the UK. People in the UK are a little bit more conservative, a little bit more risk averse. They don't dream as big as uh, Americans do. And I think in, in many ways, I'm I'm more of um, I subscribe more to an American more of an American mindset than to a European mindset. And whenever I went back from these uh, hacker houses, founder houses, I realized that you know the high energy that I came back with used to dwindle down in three or four months, and I would just you know get absorbed in the natural, more conservative energy in uh, in London. And I thought, okay, uh, I, I really need to find, you know, my tribe and find the right environment for me to be in. And I think that's going to be in America. And uh, because, uh, because we're building in the AI space, um, I took a trip um, two months ago. Uh, I initially thought I'm going to move to, uh, to New York. And I spent 10 days in New York and 10 days in, in SF. And, and I've just realized that when it comes to early stage building, especially in the AI space, there's... There's so much energy. There's an incredible information asymmetry just by being here. Yeah. Um, and um, it, it was it was almost a no-brainer that I need to move here. Yeah, I agree. I think I felt the same way. My, my background was like, I was always thinking about building something, but never did until last summer. And 
even that short experience of being in a group with a bunch of other builders, that energy was a big game changer. I think I had the same kind of realization as you had in a hacker house for a month where in that first week, I was like through just talking to other founders, connecting with them and just telling my problems or the things I was thinking about or like building. And they would ask me all these questions I would never have thought. And I made like three breakthroughs and and end of that week. And I was like, if I sat in my home for a month, I don't think I would get through one. Just, yeah, I agree that energy. And I think for especially first time founders like me, I think it was really helpful for, to be in that environment. So for you to go basically realize that, reflect on that, and then try whether that was like in New York or San Francisco, that's really cool to see. And then like try to grasp that energy again is like really awesome. Yeah, um, I think, you know, obviously you move to San Francisco and then you don't, I don't live in a hacker house and I don't think I would want to live in a hacker house because those are, I mean, as beautiful as they are as experiences, I'm, I'm at the stage in my life where I know that I need to balance the energy of building and being surrounded by people. And I get that energy from other places, not by living with 30 other uh, hackers. Uh, So like now being here in SF and having access to those communities is great, but it's also been great to, um, you know, just have access to the wider ecosystem and and just, I don't know, enjoy the city because the city is a beautiful city. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, So you're new to the US, you're new to San Francisco. What has been the biggest learning curve or challenges as like an international founder here? Yeah, so um, I think it's really interesting. Um, I'm not sure if it's a learning curve or like I'm still getting used to it. Um, I was asking myself whether there is any difference, um, any big cultural differences between uh, being in SF and being in London. And I'm still finding my, you know, my tribe here in San Francisco, but I've, I've realized that a lot of people in here are incredibly smart, which is, which is great. You, whoever you talk to, you're going to have probably a good conversation. Uh, and it, whether it's about tech or it's about philosophy or life, it's going to be a highly rewarding conversation. But I also feel uh, that in many ways, um, that is that is very different from what, I, what I'm used to, right? Mm-hmm. I'm used to people also, I don't know, being maybe more emotional or expressing themselves in a different way rather than using the mind to rationalize every single thing. So I think that's definitely been a shock to me, right? On yeah. how people, because they're extremely star- smart, they're using the mind to to process any type of, you know, the world. Uh, and, uh, and that often kind of sort of is, is very different than my way of being. I'm, I'm someone that wants to be present, to listen to, I don't know if you want, and I don't want to be cheesy, but like I also use my heart a little bit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I think I'm, I'm getting used to that. Uh, but I'm just because I'm, I've been surrounded by so many people. I now find myself incredibly attached you know, adapting to this new environment, I suddenly read a lot more academic papers. <laughs> I've just bought a book recently um, about love and math, right? So my my interest in math has been uh, rekindled just by being for a month in SF. So uh, there's, there's uh, some inter- interesting observations. Yeah, that's funny. That's also your character trait of being able to like, yeah, kind of 
take in the environment, you know, absorb it, basically. Not many people can do that. Well, you know, I've been reflecting on this because I think in many ways, this has been one of the skills that I've developed for a long time. Yeah. Just going all the way back to, you know, growing up in a village. Um because I was always the outsider, you know, as the kid from the village that was going to uh, uh, to town for school, I had to, I, you know, I probably developed some conscious, subconsciously, this skill of fitting in, right? And yeah. I, you know, I tried to fit in. Uh, uh, it's almost like a survival skill, right? Like if I'm going to be in this environment, I'm different, right? So how do I fit in? So it was a mechanism, you know, a lot of, for a lot of time that, you know, that fitting in translated into be the smartest kid in the room, right? So for, for a lot of time, it was just like learning a lot and wanting to be first. That was my first desire. But then, you know, in time, I've realized that I've probably developed a skill to try and fit in and adapt in the, the right environment, whether that's, you know, my previous work experiences, whether that's the different, you know, hacker houses that I've been in, I, it, it's easy for me to try and fit in and absorb kind of sort of the energy of the space. But that sometimes that I need to be highly aware of that mm-hmm. because um, the goal and the desire at this point in time is, isn't necessarily to be like, right? I don't care that much if people like me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's to be more true to myself. And that oftentimes requires me to, you know, not resist the urge to try and blend in uh, in that em- en- environment and, and, you know, forget about my own desires and goals. Yeah. And uh, to go from that, you're currently working on Broaden. Um, You know, this has been a, like you said earlier, process of going through different experimentation, different um, incarnations of Broaden. Can you tell me what Broaden is? Yeah, definitely. So we're building a platform that enables anyone to change the world, basically. That, that's the high-level vision that we have. And that's what we're, where we're starting from. Um, and I think this is, this, is linked to, this is linked to a lot of who I am as well in the world. I remember at one moment in time, um, I was part of a Microsoft program in, in university and I got home, um, you know, I got gifted this T-shirt uh, it was my favorite T-shirt for for like years on end. It, it had this thing written on it. It was an unofficial merge for Microsoft, but it said, you know, change the world or go home. Um, so in, in many ways, you know, my my goal or my desire is to figure out how I can drive some some form of change that change that is meaningful in the world. So through the platform that we're creating, we've observed um, a lot that in the current AI ecosystem, a lot of people are building um, and we've been to several hackathons and we've seen a lot of cool projects come out of hackathons. Mm-hmm. But um, what we've noticed that, that is that, you know, you start seeing the same ideas over and over again. And uh, it's it's almost like in in, in improv, right? Um, so I used to do improv. And uh, when you're learning how to do improv, and you're on the spot and, you know, people are watching, you will come up with, you know, one, two, three ideas. And then if you don't have your muscles trained, you will stop after uh, three ideas, you know, and that's, it's usually quite your, you know, your mammal, your primal, primal <laughs> brain that gets in, engaged. Uh, so, you know, the, the third line for a beginner improv person will be about sex. 
<laughs> but uh, it's the same in in the in building. I feel like like all of these hackers will get together, and some of them are incredibly cool projects. But because they are time constrained, and they a lot of people don't have time to think through, you know, the long term implications of what they're building or research a domain properly, it means that everybody arrives at the same type of applications. And a good example is in you know edtech, right? In edtech, I've been to several hackathons. You know, the amount of times I've seen people creating AI applications that will generate a course for you. Uh, it's, it's incredible, right? Everybody thinks that that is the coolest thing to build. Uh, and But, you know, after an hour of thinking. Um, so having realized that, we, we thought that, you know, a lot of the ideas in general um, that are unique, that are different, and that will, will end up changing the world will come from the fringes of the builder society, will come from people that think about their industries or their passion projects uh, in detail. And and these people are, you know, the, the gamers out there, the, um, the people that actually work in education and are trying to, I don't know, create a lesson plan for their math class that they're teaching or people that are in marketing and that they want to support other people by creating simple tools that have been successful for them and acquiring a, a user base or, or, you know, reaching out call to someone. So um, with, with that observation in mind, we thought, okay, uh, it's now easier and easier to build applications in AI. And we can see it from the hackathon, you know. AI is, you know, everybody's talking about AI, but in many ways, AI today for for a lot of us means calling a few APIs. Uh, yes. So uh, the world has changed completely. Um, but with that observation and the observations that ideas are coming from the fringes of the builder uh, community, we thought, what if it would be possible for, you know, anyone to actually build uh, with the new technologies that we have? So hence, we're, uh, we're building this no-code platform that is... It should be able to be be used by your mom if you want, right? It's drag and drop. You you want to build something, and then you would insert your prompts, maybe select a model, um, create a very few connections in between the components that you want to build, yeah. and then launch a mini application uh, that you can eventually also um, monetize if you want. Yeah, I love that. I think uh, just even stepping back when I was thinking about oh, I want to build that product. I went through so many different iterations over the last 10 years. Uh, everything from reskinning a template that was like a whole, all the rage in like 2014, 2015 for like mobile apps to now I realized I was like, wow, the no code has been really helpful for non technical people like me because I'm like, I can create this proof of concept over a weekend and show it to people. Maybe it's not the best, but it's like, it gives me a jumping off point and that's not daunting. And I think that's like kind of what I realized the the power of being able to build like that. And what you said, connecting that with now people, they have the tools available in terms of like this no code, like brought an AI tool. Then for even like the smallest application that solves a small problem, uh, need of like what you as the edge of the the practitioner at the edge of the um, circle is doing now they can go and build that without really spending that much resources into it and i think that's super powerful 
Yeah, totally. Um, I I also believe that I'm when I when I use the word I'm very careful when I use the word no code, because um, I feel like there's there's always this evolution of no code platforms and um, kind of mirrors the evolution in tech, right? When you start a tech project, because it's a tech project at the beginning, right? It solves a very specific problem for a very specific audience, right? You know, fast forward 10 years later and 300 millions of investment into your startup and it solves a thousand problems for uh, a thousand different people, right? So I feel like the same type of cycle happened with what I now call the old generation of no-code platforms. Um, Honestly, if if I were to go on and start trying to use any uh, no-code platform that appeared over the last 10 years... It's now actually quite complicated because they've built for more and more use cases, more and more people, uh, which means that, you know, yeah, you don't need to write code, but the learning loop for you to learn how to use Bubble or whatever, you know, no-code platform you want to learn is is big. And there's also a lot of misconceptions around no-code. I think there's a lot of people that now believe that, yeah, 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 you know, no code is just for prototyping and it will only take me to a certain place. So that, you know, puts a lot of people off. Um, and, you know, having that in mind, I'm, I'm very careful with the use of um, of, of no code because uh, I don't want to associate myself with, with that. It is a no code platform, but it's a next generation of no code platform. We're now the easy bit of no code, right? And I know in 10 years from now, there's going to be a next generation of no code platform that will make us irrelevant. Uh, but we're somewhat different than, you know, a complex platform like uh, Bubble is today. Mm-hmm. And when, uh, so this is the current product with Broaden. Can you tell us about what were the different incarnations and then what were the learnings from each of the versions? Yeah, yeah, totally. So the first incarnation was was the app that we talked about at the beginning. Um, and this stemmed from my own idea um, of, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I think there's a lot of value in podcasts. I think there's a lot to learn from podcasts and, and podcast is one of my favorite ways to learn because um, it's not scripted. It doesn't feel like learning. You're just learning through the power of conversation. And I think that is incredibly powerful. And, you know, having been a podcast addict myself, I was like, oh my God, I've learned so many things. And there was a moment in time where, you know, I was talking to my mom and I was, uh, you know, I became an expert in gut health <laughs> and uh, neuroplasticity and sleep habits and whatever you want. And I was like, my mom was like, how do, how do you know all of these things? And I was like, it's through podcasts. Yeah. But um, yeah, we built an app that allowed people to, to, to access the, the best moments in podcasts. And it was more like learning a discovery for, you know, knowledge discovery rather than podcast discovery. But um, it's really funny because I've met a couple of entrepreneurs that have uh, ended up building a version of an incarnation of that product and they all failed. And they didn't fail because, you know, they didn't manage to reach um, a decent audience. Some got to hundreds of thousands of users. But for whatever reason, you know, podcast discovery or learning from podcasts is is um, something that has never been cracked. And it's it's a very alluring space to go into because you feel like you feel like there's a lot of value in there and uh, you think, you know, I'm going to crack this, uh, this problem. It is very, very difficult, though. Um, I mean, if you go to any of the players today and you use their search experience, it's trash that's why when we're like 
when we're both podcast listeners and we use these apps and we search for something and we're like, that's not what I wanted. We're like, maybe there's an opportunity there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, and that's the insight. But then once you speak with most of the people out there, you've realized that, and this was one of the learnings that we had after, you know, doing user interviews that, you know, discovery is really a real problem, right? People just build these affinities with uh, podcasters. Um, it's, you know, you listen to Tim Ferriss or Lex Friedman just as um, probably through the same type of consumer behavior as watching the Kardashians. So like you're, you're just glued to that creator. And because you have limited time for podcasting, once you've, you know, filled your quota of three or four or five podcasts that you listen to, yeah. you're fine. You don't want anything else. You don't want a discovery. You don't want to, you know, risk that half an hour to get something that you don't like. Yeah. So you end up stuck with your, well, stuck. Maybe that's exactly what you want. Your, your favorite six creators. Yeah. So uh, we moved on from, uh, from that space. And the next iteration, and this is really funny, the, the second iteration was, was actually in the summer of last year. And we started playing with large language models way before they were that, you know, popular. And um, we, we worked with, uh, with an author uh, and we built into um, our platform, we fine-tuned the model with everything that this author has published, his books, his podcasts, his blogs, to create um, a second brain for the author, uh, if you want. Um, and it was really interesting. You know, we got it to a place where the chatbot was answering questions just as good as the, the author in many ways, based on the author's assessment. Um, but I think the challenges were, at that moment in time, you know, they still are challenges today. It was very difficult to control the hallucinations. Mm -hmm. So um, we couldn't, we decided not to productize that and take it to market because it would have been very difficult for the, you know, author to, to say, oh, okay, here's my second brain. You know, it mostly will answer correctly and showcase my viewpoints. But if you ask it, how many legs does a frog say? It might not be accurate, right? I see. And that is uh, for the listeners, hallucination can you explain a little bit about that and what is the behavior that ha leads to that? Yeah, of course. So um, through the very nature of the AI technology that powers the new, the new models, these models are trained on very big sets of data. It's usually private and mostly public data. So um, think about, you know, collections of books, uh, books, uh, uh, Reddit, uh, subreddits, uh, a lot of data. Not all of this data is, is accurate per se. And as a, you know, factor of the data input to these models, as a, and as a factor of how these models are being built, they're, they're basically predictors, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes uh, they're, they're probabilistic uh, models, right? So they're not deterministic, which means that they don't have a sense of truth. They don't know what's truthful. They don't know, they don't know how to tell, you know, what's correct and what's incorrect. And don't have a way to assess that. So when you're asking any type of model, including, you know, ChatGPT, GPT, yeah. uh, uh, a question, um, you don't know whether that, uh, that answer is going to be truthful. A great example of that was a friend of mine just posted this. Um, this is relatively recent. Uh, a lawyer, I think, in New York or somewhere, um, 
used ChatGPT to argue um, a case. I can't remember what the case was, but it you know asked ChatGPT to help him create a, a statement of why this case should be brought forward. Yeah, and uh, of course. ChatGPT does have a lot of legal data, so it hallucinated all these precedents, all these other lawsuits that happened. And he, you know, he put that forward in front of the judge and he just put a lot of people to dig it and research uh, through, you know, the history of archives to, to eventually find out that none of the stuff that he brought forward in his case was real. So the model hallucinated. Um, so... Uh, the hallucinations then are are just this misbehavior of yeah. uh, of these models uh, that make them just blatantly lie, confidently yeah. lie every once in a while. And that was a risk uh, for the authors that basically said, "I don't want to have this second brain because there's a risk." Right? Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, there would have been other ways to productize that platform and take it to market. By just saying that, you know, these things are, aren't representing the views of the authors. They are, you know, made up chatbots uh, and they're fictional characters. Uh, and then, you know, you have platforms like Character AI uh, that do exactly that. So you can chat to Elon Musk's, you know, AI bot. But, and it, you know, will know a few things about Elon, but it will not accurately represent Elon Musk's viewpoint on anything, right? Yeah. Uh, and that's a business, right? They, they have users uh, using it. I'm not, I'm not sure how much they're using it to, you know, interact with these famous people chatbots or they're using it for, for other reasons. But um, it's certainly, yeah, one way to tackle the problem saying, you know, it's fictitious, but you can still chat to them. And then uh, from there... Is that the jumping off point to broaden today? Yeah, there was one intermediate step um, in in the process. Um, and from our conversations with users and, you know, from our realization that we don't want to take the, the, the platform to market, we, we started exploring more the search area, right? Going back to podcasts, there, there's a lot of value in, in podcasts. How can we search and surface some of the the content out there, and in, in January this year, this year we launched uh, one of the first semantic search engines um, on on top of podcast, and we 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 launched it on top of Lenny Rachisky's, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, podcast, and uh, that you know went viral on Twitter, and we got a lot of users from that, and I think it was a cool project. Uh, it was one of the first ones, you know. Ever since then, we probably have seen. 20 chatbots on podcasts. So it's, it's, uh, it's a common hacker uh, project to, to build over the weekend or in a hackathon. Um, but um, as we were building, you know, the previous platforms and um, semantic search engine and our interactions with different AI models, mm-hmm. we've realized that we have, you know, built all, all this infrastructure that mm-hmm. can be leveraged by anyone to build applications with AI. So that was the moment where we started, you know, engaging more on, you know, what else can we do with this technology? And then is there value in, in building for people that don't have the technical skills to, to do it themselves and they can leverage the technology that we've built to, to build their own AI applications? Yeah, I love that. I saw that go viral on Product Hunt and I thought the product was really good. I also had a friend who was... Uh, he just collects a lot of like product and growth related snippets. And 
I'm like, hey, you should use this uh, semantic search engine. It's like really helpful to because he was also listening to Lenny's podcast and taking like, uh, you know, topic, what is the best part of it? And then like having people kind of skim through it in his newsletter. And he's like, oh, this is a game changer for my work because he's basically sitting down and like listening to it and taking notes. And it's like, yeah, this is a whole different way to operate. It is very interesting. I had a similar anecdote with someone that was um, a growth advisor to a startup. And, you know, the startup founder, which I knew, said that their growth advisor has been using this tool to, to basically synthesize and package good advice from experts on, on product and growth. And then I found out it was, you know, the, the tool that we built for, for Lenny. Uh, and it was awesome. It's, it's really interesting when you actually, you know, put something out there in the world and you find, you know, people that you don't know that are using it. Yeah. It's actually a very rewarding, uh, rewarding feeling. We, uh, I also write an, uh, a newsletter in, in AI and um, when I came here last time in SF, I randomly stumbled upon someone that was reading the newsletter. And, you know, he said something that I think I, I won't forget. It was like, you know, there's a lot of uh, AI newsletters and I've unsubscribed for most of it, but I still read yours. That was the nicest compliment I ever received. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Man, that's awesome. That is why I feel like you get that high, you get that, you know, momentum to keep going is like these moments. Um, so let, yeah, let's talk about this latest product, especially building an AI. Can you talk a little bit about how you thought about that process of building? Yeah. So I think a lot of what we're building now just emerged from, um, from conversations with people. Um, and we've, started explicitly saying let's kind of sort of avoid um, avoid the people that we know avoid the startup people and mm-hmm. let's try and speak to people that are outside of the you know the people that are at the fringes of the builder community yeah. that have seen what's possible with ai or are using it are using ChatGPT in their daily lives and see what they want to build and we started that process and that informed a lot of you know it validated our hypothesis that that a lot of people do want to you know build with AI, AI. But on the technology front, then for us, it was relatively easy because we had all of these components that we've built. So it was just creating the right architecture, streaming together the various components that we've built. Um, And what we're doing now is, you know, we have a community of people that want to build with AI. And it's just the start of this community. We've announced it a week ago. But the goal of this community is uh, is basically to bring people closer to us to understand more what they want to build and try and help them build stuff through partially to our platform, but more importantly, through um, having access to learning and having access to experts. So we're yeah. going to be bringing on, you know, various speakers and experts for community exclusive events yeah. to teach community, the community how to do X and Y and Z. Because unfortunately in the AI space, things are moving, or fortunately, but things are moving extremely fast. So keeping up with, uh, you know, the latest way to generate images, for example, uh, isn't that easy. Yeah. And whenever, you know, you end up trying to search for these resources, you, you, you get trapped in, you know, these YouTube videos that just end up two hours longer than mm-hmm. they should be because they need to hit their ad revenues, right? 
So we want to bring some experts in to share some of the stuff that they're building and inspire the community to build on one end. And on the other end is just create a forum for people to share some of the resources that they've been using to build and, and all of that. Yeah. With AI changing so quickly, does it, how, how do you think about building when you said earlier, like progress is so rapid? Yeah, um, I think... I think it's challenging in general to build in AI. Um, I know AI is an exciting space for a lot of people and many people have pivoted their businesses in in AI. Mm -hmm. But I think in general, having looked at the space, having looked at the industry, I've noticed that, and everybody knows this, right? This isn't some big secret that I'm revealing now. So, you know, building moats and building defensible businesses is still very difficult. So if you're, if you want to build a venture backed business in AI, it won't be easy um, because you need to figure out a way to protect yourself. And, you know, the only way or some of the ways that you can do that is either, you know, you, you build your own model, which is possible these days, you get, you know, three to $10 million invested in your business and, mm-hmm. and you can do that. You might, you might need, uh, a, a real AI expert as a co-founder if you want to do that, but it's totally possible. Or perhaps you, you know, if you're building on a vertical use case, you embed yourself deeply through workflows and organizations. That's yeah. been the other thing that um, has worked. The um, other types of applications where you're, you know, building a wrapper on top of a model um, are very difficult to defend long-term. So they might, might generate some some money for, for you and they might turn into great Microsoft businesses, but um, they're very difficult to, to grow and back at, uh, at the scale. So for us, thankfully, you know, this doesn't matter that much because we're, we're somewhat more on the infrastructure middleware yeah. and all of these components that we're building and technology that we're building, of course, we're abstracting and surfacing all the way up to the users. But um, ultimately, I believe there's going to be, you know, the planet has been a billion of people and there's going to be a lot of creators. The creator economy isn't going away. I think we're going to have a new creator economy and we, we want what we're building to, you know, facilitate that creator economy. So um, we'll see. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's exciting to, to, to build that infrastructure or foundation layer for other people to build on top. Yeah, that's amazing. How is the community built? Is it online like a Discord channel or? Yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a Discord channel that we're um, inviting people in. Yeah. Uh, and there's events that we're going to be organizing. We're starting slow, yeah. one event every two weeks, and then we're going to introduce more and more events. The way I'm looking at this community is I'm building it, you know, from the grounds up with, um, with, with people. Mm-hmm. So I've spent the last, you know, a couple of weeks just speaking with people in, in the community to try and understand what value they're missing and what value we can create with the community. Yeah. Uh, so what we're, the format and the structure of the com- community isn't at all coming from my own ideas. Uh, yeah. It's just coming from uh, what the first 100 founding members, as we call them, yeah. uh, want. That's amazing. And you, I think you provided a really key point of you saying earlier, you don't want this to be like all tech founders. And now they're, you know, this community is all like tech founders who want to build on Broaden. How are you finding the people who are trying to think about this from the edges, whether they're teachers or, you know, uh, maybe firefighters or, you know, different people? Yeah. So 
a mix of things. Um, so initially, we've just because Brother has been around for a while, we've built a wait list of um, around two thousand people. Yeah, and a lot of those people were were quite diverse, right? Because the, they were interested in, in learning and they were interested in in AI. So it turns out that the community that we were building before had a high level of overlap with the community that we're interesting now. So a lot of it is come through that community, but we've also built a brand and because we got some media coverage, uh, it just means that our website traffic is, is relatively high. And, um, you know, quite surprisingly, without us doing anything, you know, just there's probably two or three percent conversion rate for any unique visitor that comes to our website. Yeah. So every day we get, you know, another five applications for the community without doing too much, Uh, which means which means that, you know, it's a reflection that there are people out there who are struggling and don't have the resources, don't have the community and they're, they're looking for something like this. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm really excited to see the community grow and broaden grow as well. Are you ready for the last question? Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, the closing question I always ask is, what are you optimistic about? Yeah. Um, I've been thinking about what I'm optimistic. Um, I think probably the most, the thing that that I really like about this current, it's going to be about AI, right? I'm an AI founder. So, so I need to be optimistic about AI because there's a lot of people that aren't optimistic about AI. And... One of the things that I'm really optimistic about AI is I actually don't believe too much that, you know, the doomsday scenario where AI will take over the world and uh, we're all going to become slaves of this sentient uh, artificial intelligence. I actually believe in humanity and we believe that we're going to be smart enough to genuinely understand how we can co-create with AI. Right. Mm-hmm. So my view on how the world will change is that at this moment in time, we're all used to, you know, asking questions or inserting a prompt and generating an image. I think the new wave or the smart technology founders will enable ways for people to have multiple degrees of liberties on how they interact with AI. So the original thought, the idea, the one who's moving the Lego pieces will be the human. Uh, and of course, you're going to have more and more Lego pieces and they're going to combine in unique shapes and they're going to create beautiful things. But the person who is going to manage all that, you know, creation process is still going to be the human. And I believe in that. And uh, that's why, you know, I'm really excited to see how this you know, revolution will will pan out in a way where once we have this, you know, there's efficiency being driven in everything that we do and we have more and more time on our hands. You know, the big question is, what will we create? And and when I say what will we create, it's like, what will you create? Every single person on earth will be a creator. Yeah. Amazing. That's a, that's a beautiful way to end it. Uh, where can people find Broaden uh, if they want to be part of the community, the creator community, uh, or if they want to reach out to you, how, how can they um, find you? Yeah. Um, so if they want to join the community or they can find out more about Broaden on our website, it's broaden.io, B-R-O-A-D-N.io. And um, if they want to chat to me, uh, probably the best way to, the best place to find me is on Twitter. And my Twitter handle is at Kalindrimbao, C-A-L-I-N, 
D-R-I-M-B-A-U. Awesome. Colin, this was uh, really great. Uh, really awesome to finally meet you uh, in person in San Francisco. 